Well, good morning. It's so good to be with you all this morning. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, whether here in person or online, my name is Sue Ann. I serve on staff here at Christ Church. My family and I have been here for... Um, about 18 years now, which is just mind-blowing to me, but I also have the joy of being on the preaching and teaching team and just the joy of opening God's word as we examine it together this morning. You know, I, I know Eric already mentioned that song, Make Room, but I have to say it, it settles in my heart too because I am reminded every time I hear that song that what we make room for shapes who we are. What we make room for shapes who we are. And each and every week, we have a million decisions, a million choices about what we're going to make room for in our minds, in our hearts, in our bodies, and in our soul. And I am just reminded as I see your faces, as we gather together worshiping this morning, when we come together here, we make room for the power of God to move in our lives. And my friends, there is nothing more significant that we can do each and every week than make room to be together as the community of Christ. And so whether you are new here this morning, this is your first time, or you've been here for years, I am so glad, so glad that you have chosen to make room for this space this morning. To that end, we are also going to make room for God's word. <laughs> We're actually going to make a lot of room because we have a lot of ground to cover this morning as we close in on the last two weeks of our Wild Sermon series where we have spent the last 11 weeks, 11 weeks, journeying with the people of God through the book of Exodus. And this morning, we are going to find ourselves in Exodus chapter 24. And so if you want to open your Bibles or pull out your phone, uh, I would encourage you to do that and follow along. We will also have the text on the screen as we go if that's more convenient for you. But let's take a moment and let's listen to the word of God as it comes to us through Exodus chapter 24. Then the Lord instructed Moses... Come up here to me and bring along Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, those are Aaron's sons, and 70 of Israel's elders. All of you must worship from a distance. Only Moses is allowed to come near to the Lord. The others must not come near, and none of the other people are allowed to climb up the mountain with him. Then Moses went down to the people and repeated all the instructions and regulations that the Lord had given to him. And all the people answered with one voice. I'm wondering if you can do this with me. All the people answered in one voice, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. Then Moses carefully wrote down all the Lord's instructions. Early the next morning, Moses got up and he built an altar at the foot of the mountain. He also set up 12 pillars, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent some of the young Israelite men to present burnt offerings and to sacrifice bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Moses drained half the blood from these animals into basins. The other half he splattered on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and he read it out loud to the people. And again, the people responded together, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. We will obey. 
Then Moses took the blood from the basins and he splattered it over the people, declaring, look, this blood, this blood confirms the covenant the Lord has made with you in giving these instructions. Then Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel, they climbed back up the mountain. There they saw the God of Israel. And under his feet, there seemed to be a surface of a brilliant blue lapuz lazuli, as clear as the sky itself. And though these nobles of Israel gazed upon God, he did not destroy them. In fact, in fact, they ate a covenant meal eating and drinking in his presence. This, my friends, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. As we encounter you through it this morning, help us to see ourselves in your story and reveal the truth of who you are. Make room in our hearts for your spirit to work and transform us, we pray. In the precious name of Jesus, all God's people said, amen. So this Thursday is Thanksgiving. (laughs) Does everyone know that? Does everyone have that marked on their calendar? I I have a college-age son, and a couple of weeks ago, I said, hey, bud, when, when exactly are you coming home for Thanksgiving? And he said, mom, when is Thanksgiving? And I said, you know what, I'm with you this year, buddy. It just kind of snuck up on us this year, didn't it? But I imagine that this week, this Thursday morning, that as you plan your day, there are some rituals and some rhythms that will affect your day, that you will form your day around as you enter into Thanksgiving that will set this Thursday apart from any other average Thursday throughout the year. Some of us will wake up to the smell of turkey wafting through our houses. Maybe we will turn on the Macy's Day Thanksgiving parade and we will wait for people to come to our house and join us. I know this community and I know a lot of you will be getting up on Thursday morning and you will be going to your local um, turkey trot. You will enjoy a little uh, family competition. That's always good for a little holiday bonding. (laughs) You will go to the turkey trot. Maybe you will come here. We hope you will and join us for Thanksgiving service. And then maybe you'll head to grandma or grandpa's house or to a friend or a neighbor's and you will enjoy the rest of the day with them. We have rituals to our holidays. There will be good food. I imagine there will be good conversation. Some of you will be forced to go around the table. We make our family do this and say what you're thankful for. I was looking uh, on Instagram this week and saw a meme and someone said, here's your life hack for that little exercise when you go around the table. Make sure that you're the one that goes first. And the reason you wanna go first is because everyone wants to say family and Jesus. And so if you wait until last, then you're gonna have to come up with something thoughtful to say. So you go first, you get to see steal family and Jesus. So that's your little pro tip for this morning. Go first during that exercise. I imagine there will be football games and naps. Maybe for some of you, there will be some shopping and holiday lights. But at the end of the day, no matter what your day looked like, if you did your rituals right, 
if you gave them the attention they deserve, when you lay your head on the pillow at night, the day will been, have been about more than what kind of food you ate or who won the game or the race. And will, it will have been about the fact that you tasted and you saw that the Lord was good and that you created a space around your tables for the people you love to experience some acceptance and belonging and community in a way that as you look at each other across the table, it deepens your commitment to your relationship with those people. Those are the rituals that we often find ourselves in around these days. The story in Exodus chapter 24 is a different kind of Thanksgiving day. It's a different kind of Thanksgiving day, but it is a day filled with rhythms and rituals that culminate in a joy-filled meal that is meant to deepen another relationship. It is meant to deepen the relationship between God and the people of Israel. They are no longer talking at this point. They have moved past being a thing. They are no longer dating. They are no longer engaged. They are actually entering into a marriage relationship, a covenant with one another, from which there is no escape. Now, one thing before we move on, it's important to remember that Exodus chapter 24 is actually a bigger part of the story of Exodus that begins in chapter 19. This is the conclusion to what happened in chapter 19 when God first introduces his covenant to Moses. And just to refresh our memories, I want to remind us what God said to Moses. Chapter 19, verse 3. Then Moses went up to God... And the Lord called to him from the mountain. And he said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then all of the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, the whole earth you, you will be a kingdom of priests. You will be a holy nation. And God says to Moses, these are the words that you are to speak to the Israelites. And so Moses does what he is told. He speaks these words to the Israelites. And before the Israelites have received the formal law or the covenant code, before they actually know what it says, they eagerly give a verbal commitment to the covenant. And guess what they say? <laughs> Verse eight, let's do this together again. The people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. So then the Lord goes on to give Moses the 10 commandments, the moral law. And then he goes on to give him the covenant code, the, the laws that dictated the way the people of God were to live to one another. Tracy and Charlie did a phenomenal job of unpacking that for us last week. And then when we get to chapter 24, Moses repeats the law to the people, he writes them down, and then two more times, two more times, guess what the people say? We will do everything the Lord commanded. We will do everything the Lord commanded. Spoiler alert. 
<laughs> you know it. After this, you'll see next week, Moses goes up to the mountain. He's gone for like a hot second, and the people already break the commandment by building a golden calf to worship. The people don't last a minute without breaking their word. But at least on this day, on this Thanksgiving day for the Israelite people, with this verbal confirmation between God and the people, the covenant is now complete. Chapter 19, chapter 24, the covenant is now complete. Except it's not. (laughs) There's one more thing to do. There is one more ritual that needs to happen, and it's a really important thing. You see, the the covenant is not complete until the covenant is ratified. In this country, we had a group of people write the U.S. Constitution. It was not actually enacted until another group of people ratified it. A bill in this country does not become a law until the President of the United States ratifies it. If we are in a dating relationship, we can say that maybe we feel like we are married in our hearts, but until we go through the actual formal commitment of saying I do to one another, it is not legally binding. A marriage relationship is probably the closest thing we understand today as what was happening between God and his people in this covenant relationship. And even within marriage ceremonies, there are rituals leading up to the actual confirming of the covenant. And it's really important that you don't skip any of those rituals. My husband was doing a wedding for the son of some good friends of ours. And he went through all the rituals and he got to the end and he turned the couple to the audience and he said, now I want to introduce you for the very first time, Mr. and Mrs. And the bride and groom kind of had this horrified look on their face, and the audience had a horrified look on their face as well, because Eric had forgotten to say one thing. He forgot to make the ritual complete. He forgot to say, you may now kiss the bride. He didn't seal the covenant. And it was funny because then the bells in the steeple and the sanctuary over here went off and everyone went, no, 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 go back. And we made them complete the ceremony. It was actually a beautiful memory for this sweet couple. You have to ratify the covenant. We have to give Moses some credit here because it would have been really easy for Moses to skip this step. Really easy for Moses to go on to the next thing. I'm sure he had emails waiting for him. I'm sure he had um, a meeting to go to. I'm sure he had finals to take. I am sure that he had uh, Thanksgiving dinner to prepare, but Moses does something really wise. He stops. He pauses. He creates this intentional moment to his credit, but more importantly, to God's sovereignty, where Moses recognizes that something sacred had just taken place. And that because of it, the lives of generations to come will be altered. This moment deserved more than just their fleeting attention. And so Moses wisely decides to stop. And he marks the moment with a series of rituals that ultimately, if you hang in there with me till the end of the sermon, that will ultimately point us to the atoning work of Jesus Christ. The first thing Moses does, 24 verse four, Moses builds an altar. 
Early the next morning, Moses got up and he built an altar at the foot of the mountain. He also set up 12 pillars, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, if you have been around scripture for a little while, if you know the Bible, you know altars are a pretty common thing that happen throughout scripture. There are actually more than 400 references to altars in the Bible. The Hebrew word for altar means to slaughter. And then later it's translated in the Greek and it means a place to sacrifice. But what we see throughout scripture, it doesn't always mean there has to be a physical sacrifice to have an altar. In fact, there are multiple reasons that people have altars in the Bible and one of the most common reason is to mark a moment is to mark a moment when someone has had such a profound encounter with the living God that they want to memorialize it in a tangible way. They wanna say, this is the moment I saw God's faithfulness. This is the moment I saw God's grace. And they don't wanna just do it for themselves, but they know that in building an altar, if they move on to the next thing, when someone else comes along, when the next generation comes along, they're gonna see that altar and they're gonna say, who is this God you worship? This is a God who is faithful. This is a God who is faithful to the generations. This is a God who changed someone's life and maybe he can change my life too. When I was uh, growing up, I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania, and uh, my family um, didn't go to church a whole lot when we were growing up together, but I always went to church with my best friend, Vicki. Her family was the family that when you spent the night at her house on a Saturday night, you knew on Sunday morning you were getting up and going to church. And so I got involved a little bit in Vicky's church, and one of the things that Vicky and I decided to do, we were in fifth grade, and we decided to try out together for the church's Christmas cantata. And I don't know why we did it, but uh, I ended up getting the lead in the play. I was Andrew the star. Uh, I think it was because I could sing loudly and off key, and that was part of the requirement for the role, and so of course I got it. And I will never forget that night that we put on the play. We're in this small little church and, and we finished and there was an audience like you of parents and grandparents and friends and, and they rose to their feet and they were applauding our little effort. And I will never forget that something started to well up inside of me and I could feel hot tears starting to sting my eyes and I was getting a little embarrassed because I knew I was gonna cry and I didn't want anyone to see and so I snuck down the stairs behind me into the basement of this church. And I remember just kind of putting my hand on the concrete wall and kind of sliding to the floor and I remember just falling into a heap of tears. And at 11 years old, I didn't know what was happening. And to this day, I still don't have words to describe it. But I knew in that moment I had encountered the spirit of the living God. And so today, anytime we go back home and I drive through town and I get to the little four-way stop where that little white church is, I pause for an extra moment. <laughs> I put my foot on the brake and I create an altar in my heart and in my mind and I say thank you God for the place that you changed my life. Friends, 
I don't know the last time you took time to remember the places you've encountered God where he has changed your life along the journey, but maybe this Thanksgiving as you sit around your tables, maybe it's a time to build some altars and reflect and remember together. That's the first thing Moses did. The second thing Moses does is he makes an offering. Verse five says, then he sent some of the young Israelite men to present burnt offerings and to sacrifice bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Now, if you continue to read the rest of the book of Exodus, and if you wanna throw in Leviticus just for fun, you are going to see that God sets up this really elaborate sacrificial system with his people as a way to answer the question, how does a holy God dwell with sinful people? It's a really big question, and I would encourage you to come back next week because Dan is gonna talk more about that. But just briefly, offerings were one of the ways that God created this path for a sinful people and his goodness and his grace to approach a holy God. And there are five offerings acceptable to God in the Old Testament, two of which we see here. The first is a burnt offering. It's an offering in which the one coming to the altar would drain all of the blood from an animal, gross, and then burn it completely, burn it completely on the altar as a sacrifice of atonement of a sacrifice of reparation, meaning they would bring it for a payment for their sin, and then they would request that God renew the relationship between them. The word burnt offering, this is kind of cool, actually means to ascend. And so when people burnt their offerings, an aroma would rise up to the Lord, and Leviticus tells us the Lord would consider it a pleasing aroma. It was a way that people could come into the presence of God. So that's number one. Number two, they did fellowship or peace offerings. These were voluntary offerings that were simply a way to say thank you, God. Thank you for being generous. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for rescuing me from this place in my life. Now today, we don't do this anymore. Because of the completion of the covenant in Jesus Christ, we are no longer required to bring offerings or sacrifices to repair our relationship with God, but there is something to be said. Again, there's something to be said about being intentional, about coming into the presence of the Lord with confession, with humility, with thanksgiving, And even though we know we have nothing to offer to the Lord but ourselves, but a hallelujah, as we sang, we do it anyway. And we come into his presence and he accepts that as an offering that smells sweet to him because his children have chosen to come into his presence. Friends, I wonder this Thanksgiving as you sit around a table together, maybe there's an offering of sacrifice or praise that you wanna bring to the Lord, that you wanna share with the people around your tables. Number three, Moses affirms the promises of God. Now he does this in two ways, and one of the ways is gonna seem normal to us, and one of the ways is gonna feel really odd. So let's see what he says, verse six. Moses drained half the blood from these animals into basins, and the other half he splattered against the altar. 
feels odd. We'll get to it in a minute. Then he took the book of the covenant and he read it out loud to the people. And again, they all responded, let's do this together again. We will do everything the Lord has commanded. We will obey. Then Moses took the blood from the basins and he splattered it over the people, declaring, look, this blood confirms the covenant the Lord has made with you in giving you these instructions. So let's start with the easy part. The first, the easy part, Moses reads the book of the covenant aloud. You know, when Eric and I and the kids first started attending church here, uh, we would come to services, and when the pastor would read the scripture, we were first struck a little bit by the fact the pastor, he or she would say, this is the word of the Lord, and the people would respond, Thanks be to God. It's a tradition that we have here in this church. If you're new this morning, you may be feeling like me when we first came here. I thought it was a little odd. I thought it was a little strange. But now it's one of my favorite things that we do together as a community because it reminds us to move beyond this Americanized, individualized, privatized journey of faith that we feel like we are on. And it reminds us that we are unified with the people around us. It reminds us that we are one people who are part of one story under one God. And at the end of the story, God wins. At the end of the story, God wins. And sometimes we come into this place and we forget that. We come into this place, we carry our baggage, we carry our wounds and our pain, we carry our doubts, we have bad days, our journeys are wild, our faith feels small. And we come in and we need the people of God to remind us. We need the people to the left and the right of us to remind us of what it is we believe, to confirm the promises of God out loud together when we cannot do it for ourselves. What a beautiful thing we get to do in this space together. Maybe it's something you want to do at your Thanksgiving tables this week. Read the word of God out loud together and affirm his promises. All right, that's the easy part. The second part is this whole shedding of blood, the ritual that seems a little strange to us. But in the ancient world, whenever you wanted to ratify a covenant, it always required the shedding of blood. And so what they would do, once the terms of the covenant were laid out, the two parties would cut an animal in half. <laughs> And they would put one half on one side and they would put one half on another side as a symbol to their commitment to one another. And what they would do, the parties would walk between the two pieces and it would remind them that both of them are committed to the covenant. And in this example with Moses, in this ritual, God is one half of the covenant. The people of God are the other half of the covenant and Moses is the mediator. And so Moses takes the blood from the animal and he sprays half of it on the altar to um, symbolize God and he sprays the other half on the people. And so now with the shedding of blood, the covenant is complete. Now it's ratified. And so then Moses done what, does one last thing, he celebrates. Moses gathers the people and he celebrates the covenant in the presence of the living God. Imagine these people coming to your Thanksgiving table with blood splattered on them, 
to sit down and remind one another of the commitment that we and they have just made. They have a Thanksgiving feast. Verse 9, then Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel climb up the mountain. And there they saw the God of Israel, and under his feet there seemed to be a surface of brilliant blue lapis lazuli. I had to practice that a whole lot. As clear as the sky itself. The message version says that God was standing on a pavement of something like sapphires. This language is similar to the kind that we see used in Ezekiel or Isaiah or Revelation when people, humans, have an encounter with the divine God and they can't quite describe it and so they put language to it. It was the kind of language I needed when I was 11 years old and had an encounter with the Lord and that's what they do. It's the indescribable glory of God. And then these nobles of Israel, verse 11, They gazed upon God and he did not destroy him. In fact, they ate a covenant meal, eating and drinking in his presence. Friends, something remarkable happens here. (laughs) Remember, throughout the whole story, Moses was the only one allowed into the presence of God. He had a special relationship with him. But here in this moment, in the ratifying of the covenant, God wants to show his deep commitment to his people and to the covenant, and so he gives this select group of people just this tiny glimpse of his glory. He lets them see his feet. He descends to them. He removes all fear from coming into his presence. He does not give them what they deserve, which is death. And instead, he invites them to eat and drink in his presence at the table of his grace. They feast with God. And they do it because you see the God of the covenant wants his people to know. He wants you and I to know this morning that he is personally and intimately committed to his promises now and through eternity. He never gives up on his people and he wants you so much to know this that he shows up and he eats and he drinks with us and he allows us to be in his presence. Do you know where I think we get tripped up today? Do you know where I think we have some barriers to believing this is true of the God of the covenant today? We view our relationship with God as a contract instead of a covenant. But there's a big difference between a contract and a covenant. A contract is a legally binding agreement that is set up in such a way that if one party breaks their end of the deal, the whole contract is null and void. The whole thing is broken. And so in a contract, when people enter it together, they are agreeing to hold up their end of the bargain as long as the other side holds up theirs. And as soon as one side breaks their side of the contract, the other side gets out. They're out of there. That's a contract. A covenant is a promise. It's a perpetual pledge. Both parties still agree to hold up their end of the commitment, but this time a covenant is not contingent upon whether the other side holds up theirs. 
It's not contingent. It's for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, for in sickness and in health till death do us part. You see, contracts are transactional. Covenants are transformational. Contracts are signed. Covenants are sealed. Some of us come in here today believing or living like we are in a contractual relationship with the God of the universe. We walk around carrying this fear that if we don't hold up at our end of the bargain, if we don't hold up our end of the bargain, that God's not going to hold up his. We are so much like the people of Israel. We say over and over again, God, I promise I commit to do everything you have commanded me to do. I won't lie. I won't steal. I won't covet my neighbor's stuff. I'll be humble. I'll be kind. I'll be generous. I will be filled with grace. I will be honest in my business dealings. I will be true in my marriage. I will stand up for justice. I won't fly off the handle at my kids or my spouse or my sibling. I won't talk about my friends or my coworkers behind their back. I won't be envious. I won't be greedy. I will not boast. I won't overeat. I won't overconsume. I won't overspend. I won't, I won't, I won't. Until we do. And then we become so overwhelmed with guilt and shame and inadequacy that we either check out of our part of the covenant, I'm out, or we spend our lives in this perpetual cycle of trying to earn God's love. Let me tell you something this morning. The God of the universe is not interested in a contractual relationship with his people. He's not. And in case you don't know, or maybe you need to be reminded, I'll let you in on a little secret. While God loves us enough to let us feel the consequences of our sin, he is not surprised by our sin. He is not surprised when we break our end of the covenant. In fact, he knew that we would do it over and over and over again. It's why he made the decision more than 3,000 years ago to fulfill both sides of the covenant. It's why more than 3,000 years ago when he introduced the covenant, he remained faithful to his promises in spite of the fact that his people did not. He left his throne of glory. He descends to the people once again and he gathers them around a different table. He gathers them around another table where they will find acceptance and belonging as he creates a new ritual, a new ritual. And it goes something like this. On the night our Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this bread represents my body. Every time you eat of it, do it and remembrance of me. And in the same way, he takes the cup. And he says, this cup is the cup of the new covenant. 
shed for the forgiveness of your sins, sealed by my blood. But then like Moses, God doesn't leave it there. He doesn't leave it at the table. He knew there was one more thing to do because ratifying the covenant always involved the shedding of blood. And so God in his wisdom and his grace and in his commitment to his people sends his son Jesus to hang on a cross. And he lets his own life blood drain out as the final atoning sacrifice for our sins. He repairs the relationship once and for all. And then three days later, he raises from the dead and he sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. He sits down. He says it is finished. The covenant is complete so that you and me and our friends and our neighbors and people we have never laid eyes on before can experience the new life, the new freedom found only, only in his covenant promises as we together feast forever at the table of his grace. Friends, if you are here today and you have been living under the burden of a contractual relationship with God, let me just say, I cannot say this any stronger or more boldly, it's time to break your contract. It's time to break your contract and enter into the covenant relationship that God wants to have with his people. Maybe today is your day. Maybe today is the day you need to build an altar and say, this is where God changed my life. Don't leave here today if that's you. Don't leave here today without doing that. And friends, for the rest of us who maybe are already in that covenant relationship, can we commit to one another to be people of the covenant? Can we commit to one another to be a people who make space for the abundant promises of a committed, faithful, radically loving, covenant-keeping God in our lives? Can we be the kind of covenant people who build altars, who build altars in worship and remembrance of God? Can we be the kind of covenant people who make offerings that create a sweet aroma in the world around us? Can we be the kind of people that affirm God's promises out loud for one another? Can we be the kind of people that celebrate with joy and thanksgiving today and every day because the spirit of the living God has chosen to be present with us now. Friends, this is my hope. This is my hope and my prayer for us this Thanksgiving day and forevermore. Let's pray. God, sometimes we come before you and we are so filled with thanksgiving for who you are and what you have done, we don't even have words. And so Lord, I, I pray that you would receive our thanks today as it rises to you as a sweet aroma. Lord, if there are places in our lives where we need your atoning sacrifice, Lord, to just cover us, I pray it may happen today. Lord, Lord, 
Let us remember, no matter what life brings our way, that you have run through thousands of generations to fulfill your promises to us. And so let us cling to those promises. Lord, we love you and we give you thanks. And in the name of the triune God, all of his people said,